everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Show of hands, you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? Nice. Either you guys are just really tired or you guys had terrible Christmases. I hope it's the first one. No snow. That is true. It did kind of snow. Not not as does everybody does anybody here really like the snow? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. I mean apart from it looking pretty though, it is kind of yeah. Um, well, anyways, hopefully you guys did have a good Christmas. Anybody, I've, I'm pretty sure I asked everybody this this morning already, but did anybody travel? Anybody like go anywhere nice, fun? Where'd you go? North Carolina. North Carolina. Nice. North Carolina. Anybody go further than North Carolina? Anybody? No. Okay. Did a lot of you stay around here? Raise your hand just real quick if you've stayed here in Ohio. Amazing. Perfect. Ohio. Uh, just to kind of break the ice here, what are some of the cool gifts you got maybe? Um, maybe somebody got here something real nice. Anybody want to share anything they got? Anybody, your favorite gift. Maybe it's not even anything crazy, but you're like, oh, I got these, oh, I got these pants. Right? I got these nice pair of jeans. That was one of my gifts for Christmas. Nice. Bet you never would have expected anybody to say a typewriter this morning, ladies and gentlemen. But here we are. That's why I asked. JB. Nice. I can tell. I can tell, JB. You look. There we go. There we go. Favorite present, spending time with family. And hopefully you guys got to do that. Um, it's a good chance that you guys got to spend time with family you don't see all that often, uh, which is amazing. Um, we got to spend some time with my wife's side of the family. Um, got to see some of her um, brothers and sisters and be with them. A little baby, three months old, spending his first Christmas uh, with us. It was adorable. Um, but hopefully as well, most importantly, um, apart from the gifts, apart from the good food you might have had, apart from spending time with family, um, you know, breaking your foot, uh, all that stuff. Hopefully you guys have spent the season really pondering and reflecting on the things that we've been talking about all the way leading up to Christmas Eve, right? We talked about Advent, right? We talked about our hope, our peace. We talked about our joy. Um, we talked about all those things and how they are found in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus. That's why we celebrate. That's why we come together at the end of the day. Hopefully you spent some time thinking about that uh, and praying in gratitude. And what's nice about this season as well is that it doesn't just kind of end with Christmas. We still have reason to celebrate. Um, we're still kind of in a festive period, right? Today is New Year's Eve. Um, so some of you may be going out. Uh, you guys have plans tonight. You guys might, again, go see some more family, have family over. Um, does anybody have any traditions for New Year's Eve? Anybody? Do you guys do anything? Uh, it's, 
Yeah, yeah, it's not very, it's not, it's not quite the, the holiday it is in other cultures. In my culture back uh, in Brazil, it's, it's a huge party. Everybody comes together, dresses in all white, celebrates the turn of the year together. Um, I won't be doing that this year, but that's what I grew up doing. Um, and again, just a fun time to be with family, right? Fun time to be with people. But this morning I did think about what I was going to teach on. Um, obviously, it's a lot, a lot of traveling during this season. Uh, it's a really busy period. Um, I didn't want to start a brand new series this Sunday, but I did want to teach on something that is relevant and on topic for, uh, for you guys to kind of take away as you guys head on uh, this week. Um, as you guys, obviously, next time I see you, it's going to be 2024. Uh, exciting year for some, hopefully all of us. I'm going to become a dad in 2024. <laughs> Incredible. Yep. Um, some of you are going to graduate in 2024. Congratulations. Um, some of you, I don't know, might get a new phone, right? Uh, JB in 2024, so congratulations. I'm not going to clap because I don't know if you will. So um, if you're lucky, you will. Uh, but anyways, 2024, it, it hopefully will be a great year. But again, I, I wanted to teach on this, and this came up because I was thinking about things that are, uh, like I said, prevalent to this time of year, things that people are often doing. And, and this morning, if you sat in the main service, um, we talked about expectations, planning, and goals, um, and, and that's really cliche, obviously. We obviously know that that's the case. We talk about that a lot with New Year. With a new year comes uh, new goals and objectives, desires. Um, but even further than that, I did want to talk about something that is relevant. And, and a passage came to mind when I thought about this. Um, but I wanted to talk about this idea of like I said, looking forward to the new year and, and starting on uh, the right foot, starting with the correct perspective. Because a lot of the times, what happens is we get to the end of the year, we get to the turn of the year, and we, we get excited because, if we're being honest, that means now 2023 or the year prior is now in the rearview mirror. Like, whatever has happened in 2023, um, th that's in the past. And... The truth is a lot of us, all of us, to some extent, have had difficulties and struggles throughout this year. Uh, some of us more than others. Some of us have gone through a lot, have experienced a lot. Um, maybe something really big, like that's kind of just plagued you all year long. Uh, maybe it wasn't just one big event, but it's been just this ongoing thing where... Things just don't seem to, progress to, uh, to get any progressively uh, better. It just progressively gets worse. And things aren't improving. And what the end of the year at least brings is some hope for a new year with maybe, um, <laughs> maybe it's better health. Maybe it's more success. Or maybe it's just um, peace, joy, whatever it is that you're hoping for. Um, you're looking with hope at this new year. You're looking at what's to come. And a lot of the times, people are setting goals in light of that, right? Well, I have these new goals, right? This year's going to be different. I, I'm excited about what's to come, and I'm going to set these um, objectives for me in light of this new perspective that I have on life. 
And a lot of the times, too, if we're Christian or believers, a lot of those goals and a lot of that perspective is also rooted in Scripture. Right? We, we get that. We don't just create that. Oh, well, this year's going to be successful. This year's going to be great uh, because I'm going to will it. Um, some of us may think that way, sure, but a lot of the times, too, it's, it's rooted for something that we find maybe in Scripture. And that's the passage I want to talk about today, kind of explaining it, because uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for example, is one of those passages, right, where somebody... Right, is looking at the new year, perhaps, right? And this is maybe one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, right? This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare, right? Plans of prosperity in some versions, it would say. And not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, right? When we see something like that, at first glance, we get excited. We, we, we read something like that, and that makes us feel great. Because in isolation, this verse in of itself is, it is hopeful, right? We say, well, welfare, welfare prosperity, um, and the screen kind of gave it away already, but Christianity doesn't necessarily equal prosperity. And if we really understand what's going on in this passage, we know that that's not what it's saying. And yet, oftentimes, people will take this out of context. People will misinterpret what's actually being said here, misuse it, and, and then look into the new year and assume, oh, well, things are going to get better. As soon as that clock strikes 12, it's 2024, it's a brand new year, whatever happened is done. This is going to be a great year. God wants to bless me, whether it's um, spiritually or even physically or emotionally. He's got great plans for me, and, and God does have plans for you. And God's plans are what is best for you. But it doesn't mean what you think it does in this sense where things will just change like this, will disappear like this, and all of a sudden it's all going to be fine, everything's going to be okay, it's going to be easy, life is just going to drastically improve, you're not going to go through any struggle or hardship. If that's the hope you're hoping for, then you've missed it. You're not really understanding what this passage is saying. And ultimately, you're going to be disappointed because you've hoped in something that is not true. You've bought into a lie and you've believed in something that's not accurate. And then 2024 comes around and you're a week in, nothing's changed. And you're still struggling with certain things and things are still difficult. Maybe a few months in, you're seeing certain ramifications or consequences of things that have you know, continue on from the previous year and you're flustered, frustrated because you thought it was going to be better. You thought it was going to be okay. And so I want to explain to you this morning what this passage is really saying, what it represents for us, because this is a very hopeful message still, but it is hopeful and necessary for us to understand within its context, the, the way that it was written, to who it was written for, and what's really being said here is essential for us if we're going to apply this to our lives. So this morning, I do want to look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and understand the context of not just this verse in particular, but this whole chapter, and even the book of Jeremiah as a whole. Um, give you an overview of just the Old Testament itself to help you understand what was happening here, uh, why this is important to them, and why it can be also relevant for us. So... If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Jeremiah 
29, and we'll read from there in just a second. But before that, I do want to give you some context here for what's going on in leading up to the book of Jeremiah itself. So first and foremost, if we look at the Old Testament, what we see is a nation of people, right? The nation of Israel. And eventually, right, after being promised this land, right, the promised land, they move into the promised land which was originally inhabited with uh, these evil nations, right? Pagans, people who served false gods, um, just uh, wicked cultures, uh, people like uh, the Canaanites and etc. But God's intent was for his chosen people, this people of Israel, to go in and be a light, to permeate the culture, to go and influence these people, right? to display obedience and righteousness. And yet when these people enter into the land, what happens is Israel actually succumbs. They conform to the cultures around them. Right? And that is something that we know very well. When we're called to be light and salt of the earth, to be different, a lot of the times, instead of going into certain situations and environments and being somebody that stands out, like we're called to, a lot of the times, we don't look any different than the people around us. The nation of Israel, they, not that they were indistinguishable, but close to it. They, they were, and rather than influencing the people outside, they were being influenced themselves, adopting certain things from these cultures uh, that God had not intended for them. And so as a result, and also because of God's love for them, what he does is he doesn't punish them immediately, but rather he sends um, countless uh, prophets to go to these people to warn them, tell them to turn from their ways. He sends several different people like Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, etc., um, Jeremiah, um, as we'll read about. But he warns them through these people time and time again for the next hundreds of years, and consistently these people rejected their message, and they refused to listen. And so over time, God punishes his people by sending them into captivity under the nation of Babylon. And that's already something that we've covered here, and we've already talked about the nation of Babylon. The, this was a very mighty, powerful nation. People who were incredibly proud of their strength and their ability to vaporize any opposition, right? They would enter a land and it would say that like they were like dust, right? You couldn't even um, tell what was there before because they were just that powerful and overwhelming. And again, they took pride in this. These people obviously came into the land of the Israelites, this wicked nation, and what they did was they destroyed the land and took them into captivity. So they were captive in Babylon. And Jeremiah, again, one of those prophets... We're reading here now that he is sent to Israel, right, the people of Israel that were away from the promised land now. They're in captivity in Babylon. So they were sent, they were sent to Babylon. They were brought there, kidnapped essentially, now captive under their empire. And Jeremiah is going and, and bringing this message to these people who are outside of the land they grew up in, no longer where God had promised them. And and most likely hopeless. They were devastated, right? They're, they're not where they're supposed to be. This is not what God had planned for them, what he had promised. And yet now they're suffering the consequences of their actions, and they're in a pretty difficult situation. And that's the context of where we find the book of Jeremiah 
uh, taking place in. And people, again, and it'll be on the screen, this is kind of encapsulating the idea. God's people were punished by God for the disobedience to him. That's essentially what's happening here. The people that he is talking to are people that have disobeyed and are now suffering the consequences after years of disregarding warnings and, and, and not listening. Now they're experiencing what that looks like. And these people, again, are depressed. They're discouraged. Maybe felt like God no longer had a plan for them or had abandoned them. They're losing hope. And that's the state of the people. That's where they're at. So that's why it's important to understand, okay, well, this is the context. This is who he is writing to. Now, with, with that obviously understood and explained, we can then go into the book of Jeremiah and start to read what's being said. We can look at this chapter, chapter 29, and start to really interpret not, not just the, obviously, the context, but the contents now of what's being said. After understanding the context, we can now understand the content. And that should be a rule of thumb for, for anybody here. If you're wanting to study God's word, I would encourage you to understand the context before you understand the content. So with that being said, now let's turn to Jeremiah 29 and see what's actually uh, said here. Before we kind of jump into verse 11 right off the bat, what I want to do is talk through what God is saying here and eventually get to that place. Give you a full picture of what God is saying. Uh, and this is a message from God, right? It's a message to the people that are in exile. He's writing to these people in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. It says, Thus the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles whom I have sent um, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So again, verse 4 in Jeremiah chapter 29 is literally saying, okay, this is a message from God. Ready? Here's the preface. It's like, uh, you know, um, thus saith whoever, or when you're quoting somebody on an essay or whatever, he's quoting back, he is sending now forth God's message to these people. And in verse 5, we see the first thing that he says. The first thing that God says in this message to them is essentially get cozy. Get cozy, get comfortable. Um, verse 5 uh, in verse 5, God is telling his people to get comfortable because they're going to be there for a while. Uh, verse 5 says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Get comfortable. Um... Uh, boys in the room, you might know what I'm talking about if you've ever been shopping with your mom before. Um, but you know it's not something that happens in five minutes. Yeah. And ladies, obviously, you know you got to like, take your time. That's totally fine. As somebody who's married, fellas, do not rush them. Don't rush them. Um, my advice to you, get comfortable. Get cozy. Find a nice little lounge chair. Sit down and let them do whatever they need to do. Don't rush them. Just get comfortable, right? Don't sit around, okay, well, is it time to go yet? When you're married, that's the last thing you want to do. Um, so just get comfortable, and that's the same idea here, right? Don't live in expectation that you're going to leave any minute. Don't kind of force it like, or just stand by the door and, 
and you're like, well, I, I don't need to worry about what's happening here because this is not pertaining to me. I, I, I'm going to be out of here in a second. <laughs> These people, right, they're like, okay, hey, nice one, God. Hey, good trick. I learned my lesson. All right, can we go back now? What he's saying is no. Get comfortable. As a matter of fact, settle down. Buy a house. Get married. Start raising kids because you're going to be here for a hot minute. Right? Essentially, that's what he's saying. Get comfortable. You're not going anywhere. We actually know that they're going to be there for the next 70 years. They're there for a while, right? That's, that's a whole lifetime. In the same way here, right, just as I have encouraged you, fellas, what God is saying to them is to, what he's saying to, them is to settle down, get comfortable, because the situation isn't going to change overnight. Right, things aren't going to get better like this. It's not like some quick weekend trip to Babylon and then we're back next week. I don't know about you guys, but just by a show of hands, who here, I do this without fault. Um, as a matter of fact, if hotels just wanted to get rid of cabinets and drawers, they could. I just need the TV and the bed because I don't use any of that stuff. I live out of my suitcase every hotel I go to. Does anybody else do that? Yeah, so I, 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 does anybody actually not do that? They like open up their suitcase, put them in the drawers. Okay, well, this one's the socks drawer, put it in the socks and shirt. Does anybody do that? Oh, JB, go. Yeah. Well, some people do that, and that's totally fine. And you can get comfortable like that, but because I know, well, I, I, sometimes I always pack uh, a little bit more than I need to, anyways. So I know I'm not going to go through all that stuff. I know that I'll have enough. The whole time if I'm just looking and peeking in my suitcase. But I know I'm not going to be there forever. I don't want to go through the hassle of cleaning out the drawers, putting stuff in, folding them just to put them back. Because I know I'm there for a short stay. I'm not, I'm not going to be there forever. I'm not living there. I, I feel like there's typically that sense in, in most people because... You, there's no reason to, you'll get comfortable in different ways, but in that case, there's no need. But what God is saying in theory here would be no, take it out, get comfortable, start putting, they got their suit. they think that they're just living off a suitcase, they're going to be doing that for a while, right? If you lived in a hotel, right, uh, I don't know, the only person I've ever seen live in a hotel is uh, Zach and Cody or whatever it was growing up watching that show, but, um, but if you knew you were going to have to live there, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Then maybe you'll get comfortable. You'll start putting stuff away and you have your own areas and stuff. Um, but that's not, that's, simply, that's not typically the case. You're ready to go. If anything happens, you're ready to go. You're living in anticipation that you're not going to be there for a long time. And God is saying here, no, you settle down. Get comfortable. Start putting things away. Start, start making this your own place because... The more you do, the more comfortable you're going to be there. And as this place prospers, as this place grows and flourishes, it's going to be beneficial to you. Right? If you start helping out, right? God is telling them to be comfortable where they're at. Don't try to rush this. I know this isn't your home, but it will be for the time being. God is telling them, be comfortable. A lot of the times when we know we're not going to stay somewhere or settle down, if we know we're leaving, if we're not 
calling this place our home. We also don't even care to build connections, relationships with people. We kind of just dismiss what's going on around us because it's easier for us that way. We don't get ourselves involved with our surroundings. But God is saying to do that. Um, the truth is, that's probably the complete opposite of what they wanted to hear. Right? Imagine, right, this prophet, Jeremiah, shows up and starts to tell these people, hey, get comfortable. Imagine if he walked into this room here. Hey, guys, get comfortable. Right here. Start putting things away. Start calling this your home. If he told you guys, get comfortable because you're going to be here for the next 70 years, you'd probably be frustrated as well. Why do you think that is? Why? It's the rest of your life. It's the rest of your life. I'm 25 years old, 70 years from now. It's a good chance I'll never see where I'm from again. I'll never go back to my home. So if somebody tells me to get comfortable in a land uh, that I don't necessarily want to be in, I want to be home. And he tells me to get comfortable here. That's not the message of hope I want to hear. That's not, that's not what I would think about when I'm reading Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Just out of context and in of its own. We think that there's a message of hope there, but really what's being said here is for them in certain ways, things are actually going to get worse before they get any better. This isn't necessarily the rosy situation that some people might think it is. Quite on the contrary, as I said, it's a pretty bad situation for them. It's difficult. They wanted things to be a certain way. They wanted things to be different. And yet, as I mentioned, things will still get worse before they become better. And the temptation for us, if we're looking at our own lives here, and the temptation would have been the same for them, is to become frustrated irritated, tempted to have those types of reactions. When we're uh, in similar situations, right, to become annoyed, to try to go down our own path. Well, God's taken forever. I don't want to get comfortable and rest in God and trust in Him. I, I want to work my way out of this. I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to go down my own path. Regardless of what God may have in store for me, Sometimes we completely ignore or miss what he is trying to do because we don't find comfort in him. We don't rest in him. We, 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 we can't find comfort in any situation because we don't want to be in it. We'd rather fix the solution. We'd rather work and try to change our circumstances out of our own strength when maybe God is trying to show us something through those circumstances, when God is trying to teach us something or, or discipline us in certain ways, we completely miss what's going on right in front of us. And that in and of itself, if we were to take just that, the application there is that we have to trust God and be willing to endure, to be comfortable with the idea that God operates in his own timing, in his own ways, and his ways are also above our own. It means that even if things are difficult to understand, and on the surface they may be getting worse, Psalm 27 verse 14 says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. 
wait for the Lord. Be comfortable. Take comfort. He is, he is in control. He is working. He does have plans, as he says. It may just not be the way you imagine it. And 2024 might be the same way. It might not kickstart the way that you think. It, it might be uncomfortable in certain ways. But take refuge in God and find rest in him. Take comfort in the fact that he is in control of things. If you continue to read, uh, verse 7 kind of goes off of what verse 5 and 6 is saying. The next thing God says is help your oppressors. Right, they're already uncomfortable. Well, I don't want to settle down here. I don't want to get comfortable. 70 years I got to be here? And then Jeremiah follows it up with this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Again, and I mentioned this, work in the area. Work for the people around you. Encourage and help the people around you. As the city grows, as the city prospers, you're going to prosper too. If you live in an economically flourishing area, you're going to benefit from that. So get comfortable and start to contribute. Contribute and help those around you. And helping those around you in this case means helping your oppressors, the people that have taken you captive. And honestly, if we're being truthful in this, in this room right now, none of us or most of us don't like doing that. Helping or encouraging or assisting the people that oppress us. Last thing we want to do is pray for people that look down upon us, that treat us poorly, or have caused us the circumstances we find ourselves in. And what God is saying is, no, go out and do that. That's the last thing we want to do, right? But God reminds us to pray for these people, pray for those people. And particularly in this situation, he says, pray for the city. And at the end of the day, whilst you're here for 70 years, again, the practical side of it, if things go well here, then it's going to be beneficial to you. Because again, remember, you're here for the long haul. You're here for the next 70 years, so you might as well make the most of it. As he goes on, this is kind of the crux of where I was getting to and where we'll finally start to get to verse 11. The next thing he says is to reject prosperity preaching. Reject false teaching. Um, again, if we really look at scripture, we know that this is not like some kind of new age kind of thinking, right? You might hear prosperity gospel, this and this today, but that's not something that essentially started in the 21st century. This is something that expands way back into the Old Testament. Even if we look at this, you know, this chapter here, look at the chapter before it specifically, we see that that's happening here in a very real and practical way. In chapter 28, if you look just one chapter behind, you actually find that there is an example of literally a false prophet by the name of Hananiah who is saying things that are not true, right? We've just been talking about how God is saying, no, you're going to be here for 70 years, get comfortable, relax, uh, make this your home for now, right? Take wives, raise your children. You're in here for, for quite some time. In the chapter before, this is what Hananiah was saying. He was saying in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, In the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests, and all saying, so he's saying here, um, again, this is something false prophets will do. He's saying that the Lord has told him, which again, false prophets will claim, um, and they have done so throughout scripture, as we can see very clearly here. 
Um, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all of the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this place uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, and the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. But what does God really say? Flip over one chapter, go back to Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now this is Jeremiah talking. Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Can God speaking here. I did not send them, declares the Lord. You have to be very careful who you listen to. And that's especially important during difficult circumstances. Right, sometimes you know, somebody will come up to me. It's happened with my wife, and I do this as well. But your friends will ask you, hey, what do you think? And you tell them the truth. Oh, well, thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's not what I wanted to hear. And you keep going out and you keep asking different people. And what are you looking for? You are looking for somebody that wants to tell you what you want to hear. You don't care about the truth. You don't care about what's really important. All you want and what you appreciate most, or we appreciate truth, but a lot of times we deceive ourselves because really what we're fishing for is somebody to tell us what we want to hear. And that's why this is so important during certain situations like this because they don't want to hear, I'm going to be here for 70 years. And if there's somebody saying, oh, God has told me we're going to be here for two years, that's the person I want to believe. Two years compared to 70 and I want to be here, that's who I want to listen to. And we're all guilty of doing that exact same thing of listening to people because they are catering to what we want. And you guys are going to experience that time and time again. That doesn't go away. And you can find that everywhere. People who will relentlessly tell you what you think you want to hear, despite it being totally false. These people are listening to these false prophets, Hananiah, and this very real situation here because they want to believe that God will deliver them. A lot of the times when we're, um, maybe even in a biblical, spiritual sense, hearing people say, hey, God has a miracle for you. God is going to bless you. He's going to deliver you. He's gonna bring you healing or, uh, and amen. I, we pray that that does happen. But a lot of times people think that when, um, when God died on the cross, that it wasn't just spiritual provision. It was physical provision. It was economic provision, success. And that's not at all what's happening. God desires what's best for you. He wants to bless your life. But it doesn't mean that um, it's just everything's going to be easy. Everything is going to be handed to you because you've made the decision to follow God. We all know that doesn't happen. We, I, I know several people who have an intimate and close relationship with God, who walk closely with him, but have passed away due to illness. Who have suffered 
a lot. But they are not shaken in their faith because they know that that is not mean that their God is not good. He doesn't care for them. Again, if your hope is that, hey, God is gonna provide this for me. He's gonna do this for me. I have these goals in my life. I have these objectives. I wanna go to this school. I wanna go here. I wanna do that. I wanna do this. And if God doesn't meet those expectations, if he doesn't do that in my life, he doesn't care about me or he's not going to accomplish me. And we'd rather hear about a God that does wanna do those things and is going to do those things. God is telling him, I, I didn't say any of that. They're lying to you. The truth is, those things might happen in your life. We can pray that they do, and I hope that you do have success, that each and every person here has health, that this year is amazing for you, and every year following that is spectacular, that things go your way. But the reality is that things might happen a little bit differently than you expect. You might struggle in different ways. You might have difficulties that don't necessarily change overnight. But don't be so swayed by others who say things that appeal to your ear. Don't believe anybody and everybody just because they're saying things that you might want. We have to surround ourselves with people who say um, things that are truthful, that are honest, that are from God's word, that are pointing us to God. Not those who are just saying things that... Um, each our ear, things that we want to hear, and this is essential for what's happening here. God directly opposes these false claims. And oftentimes we get ourselves into a situation and expect God to rescue us, right? But the truth is, you can't believe your way out of something you've behaved your way into. These people are in exile. These people are here because they've refused to believe God, to accept what God had told them, the warnings that he sent time and time again, right? There's that whole little illustration, right? With somebody that says, well, God, I believe in God. I'm gonna trust that God's gonna save me from this hurricane, right? Or a tsunami or whatever it is. Somebody comes with a rowboat and he dismisses him. No, God's got me. A helicopter, no, God's got me. This and that, right? And then he gets to heaven. He's like, what, what happened? And he says, uh, what is it? Oh, I sent you a boat, a helicopter, or this. What more do you want, right? We, we think that God, right, we, we think that God operates differently, that because of our consequences, right, the things that we do, uh, that God is just going to willingly forgive us and, and there won't be any jeopardy to the things that we do, any jeopardy to the actions that we, that we take in life. God forgives and God loves us. He's a merciful and gracious God. But again, if you behave your way into something, don't think that you can believe your way out of it. Right? There are still consequences to the things that we do and they're suffering that now. Um, you can't live any way that you want and expect things to work out well. That's not always the case and that's what's happening here. If somebody tells you otherwise, I'd advise you, don't listen to them. It's not true. Now, you might be in a situation where you don't feel or you don't really know how to control it. It might be totally out of your hands. But whatever that situation may be, I want you to run to God. 
look to him, to pray to him, and trust in him, as opposed to wanting to believe that, um, that there are other solutions out there for you. Um, God's warning here is something that he hints at in chapter 23 a little bit earlier on. He says, thus says the Lord host, now listen to the words of prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes who speak their minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. God is warning exactly against this. God cares. You can't just disobey him and expect there not to be repercussions here. Um, as we get now to the end here, I do want to just revisit this last verse here in verse 11 as I let you guys go. For now, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Understanding kind of what's happening here, what are those plans? The plan is they would be held captive for 70 years. That's not what they want to hear. It's not the best situation for them. It's not what they've hoped for. They are uncomfortable here. But what God says is, I will eventually bring you out of this situation. Bring you back to your promised land, like he says in verse 10. And then after that, after he promises to bring them back in verse 10 and verses 12 and 13, he says what their future and their hope is. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Things would get better before, or things would get bad before they get any better. But in accepting and holding on to this verse, what are we really saying? What we're understanding is that Although my plans, right, um, um, although whatever situation we might find ourselves in may not necessarily be incredibly positive or what I want or how I would hope or imagine things to be, I am ready to endure the suffering, to endure whatever it is, uh, this struggle that may be because I am willing to trust in God and what he is trying to teach me during this season. Um, I, th I would say none of us are going to experience this most likely to be exiled for 70 years, but I, I do know that this year is not gonna be rosy and it's gonna be perfect. There will be times when you face struggle and things that are out of your control, you might not find ideal, but I want you to trust in God's plans for your life and trust that he does have a future and hope for you, but understand the context of what that means, that it may not be overnight that things will change and it might be difficult, but look to God and, and see what it is that he is trying to teach you and show you during these times. Um, and, and get comfortable in that, knowing that your God is bigger and greater than anything that you face. Um, last thing I do want to just say is a quote from David Platt. When God says is that suffering comes, sometimes suffering stays. But are you ready to endure? Are you willing to trust in him, be comfortable, to work um, and, and understand that God has things in control and it might look a little bit different than what you had planned. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you um, for all that you do and for how good you are and how trustworthy and faithful you are. Um, things might not happen the way we want or we imagine or we desire all the time. And this year, Lord, we might face a lot of situations like that. We might encounter difficulties. We might encounter stress and anxieties, Lord, but I pray that we would trust in you during those times, trust in you during those difficult seasons of life, 
understanding that you are in control of all things, that you do have plans. It may not, may not be the way that we envision, Lord, but they're better. Um, and I pray that we would be uh, listening to what you have to say and trusting in you throughout the entirety of it. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, guys, hope you guys have a great day. Happy New Year.